Okay, good. So this is going to be a sermon unlike any other sermon I preach. It's going to be very deep, but I also need you to know I'm your friend and I love you. And that's the last thing I'm going to say before I cut you. Do I have your permission to say some hard things today? Because what I've seen changed me forever. I mean, I took, I saved up financially for six years to do the trip that I just got back from because I wanted to see all of it for myself. And when I took my total life's experience in ministry, which is over 20 years in ministry, and compared it against what I saw historically with my own eyes as I went through the last vestiges of the Roman Empire, I'm convinced that what I know now is the truth. And I've come today to present that across all of our campuses. So we're going to start our first installment of this new series called I Love My Church. I love our church. Does anybody else love our church? Okay, good. I can stop sweating so much. The church exists to fill in the blank. That's going to be the first message that we preach today. And I'm just going to break some things down for you. In an era of opinions... In an era of opinions, we need the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Listen to me, Instagram influencer. What you're saying might sound good, but it's not the rightly divided word of God. I don't need a Christian-flavored opinion. I need the sword of the spirit to divide asunder, even soul from spirit. We need the word of God. Oh, I don't need you prophesying. I need you prophesying because you know the word of God. Don't come at me with something that sounds good. It needs to sound like God. Give me the word of God. And by the way, don't give me a sermon with three stories from your family and one scripture quoted out of context that you saw on a bumper sticker on the way to church. Give me the word of God. In an era of emotions, in an era of emotions, we need accountability. You see how nobody clapped for that one? Because your emotions lie to you. Your emotion, matter of fact, my daughter Everly, you know, she's a crybaby. And I remember the first time I realized that her crying was not always real. And one time she skinned her knee and three hours later she was still crying. I said, stop crying. There's no way it still hurts. And she went, eh. And some of you in your journey of discipleship need to be told you're not actually depressed. You're just giving yourself permission to feel depression. Oh, y'all. You don't have anxiety because God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. You are hosting anxiety because the devil gave it and you received it. And then after you received it, you rehearsed it. But God wants you to break it and deny it and renounce it. You need accountability. Accountability is a good thing. It's a good thing. In an era of deception, we need 
Come on, put it up there. The Holy Spirit boldness. I'm not going to stop preaching the unadulterated truth of the gospel, even if it's not in vogue, even if they don't like it. Come on, you can stop being friends with me, but you are never a friend to me if I can't speak the truth to you. Oh, some of you, I'll, I'll, you could fire me off the job. I don't need a paycheck for this life to ignore the eternal rewards for the next life. In an era of deception, we need boldness to say, you better give me Sundays off because, uh, come on somebody, we're not going to let our employers respect the Jews and the Muslims, but not the Christians. In an era of deception, you're not going to like me. Oh, they get a smoke break and a prayer break, but you can't even get a break to go to church. Get out of here. The devil is a liar. We need Holy Ghost boldness. In an era of deception, and Holy Ghost boldness is different than just being ornery. There's some people that like to stir the pot, but then there's, there's the righteousness of God needs to stand up and declare the truth because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So how can we have freedom without the truth? But how can you have the truth without boldness to declare it? Oh, I'm feeling the fuego of Dios today. In an era of celebrity wannabes, we need humility. Listen, we know you bought your followers, and now you bought your check mark. In an era of celebrity, listen, we don't need more Christian influencers, by the way, fighting on the internet. It's embarrassing. We don't need more celebrities. We need more humility. Matter of fact, we need the ministry of the toothbrush. <laughs> Don't prophesy to me until you're willing to scrub a toilet. That's my favorite quote from one of my favorite theologians, Randy Owens. You got people who are, they want to preach a sermon, and you know, but, but they don't want to actually build the stage that the sermon's being preached on. It's, we need to go back to humility. There's something about this era of celebrity that's causing people to actually emulate the wrong thing. There is an era of obscurity that should precede the era of celebrity. You should go through a long period of nobody knowing your name to prove that you made it about his name. But some people got a logo and a website, but they don't have the oil of the Holy Ghost upon their life. There's some oh, Come on, somebody and you just because you can get Instagram followers just because people subscribe doesn't mean that you're worth listening to and just because everybody agrees don't make you right for real we got people that skipped being the janitor and became the preacher and they're actually going to be popular for a little while but the lord's going to delete them because let me just tell you the bible says promotion does not come from the east or the west but it comes from god and so self-promotion will get you there but it won't keep you there but even those who have embraced obscurity you know my wife was reminding me this the other day do you know that there were years in my life where I would go to Latin American countries, fly out of Chicago O'Hare with $40 USD in my pocket, minister to thousands of people, and come back home. I had no website, no bank account. They, the pastors would say, how do we give to you? I didn't even have a ministry to receive finances because the Lord told me to embrace obscurity. There's a healthy dose 
of humility that comes from doing something without needing to be seen doing it. Some of you think that you graduated the dream team. I dare you to wake up at five in the morning and actually go to the local church location in the proximity of where you live. And I dare you to do something with no glory on it. And then you see what kind of glory of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. Some of you are like, God, when are you going to give me the title? When you learn to give it up in the fantasy of your mind, when you lay it down at his feet, it becomes worship before him. There's something about his God, we don't need celebrities. We need servants because where there is serving, there is sanity. But where there is self-serving, there is insanity. Some of these Christian influencers need to take a break from YouTube, need to take a break from Facebook, and they need to literally go into obscurity and just serve for a season. Some of you are saying, God, when are you going to promote me? And he was, and he's saying the fastest way to promotion is obscurity. In an era of division, we need unity. In an era of addiction, we need freedom. In an era of anxiety, we need excellence. Do you know that the solution for anxiety is excellence? I'm turning this thing for you. I know that it got real quiet. The reason why we're feeling anxiety is because many of us are pushing off our responsibilities. And the longer you push off what you know to do right, the increase of anxiety is, is what happens as a result. But I didn't say perfection, I said excellence. Excellence is when you do it with all your might unto the Lord. Most of the anxiety we feel is, is actually the result of inaction, not action. Oh, I'm speaking to somebody right now. Most of the anxiety we feel is because we haven't done what we know to do. But there's something about exhausting yourself for the Lord. There's something being about, God, I woke up and I prayed as much as I can pray. I served my family as much as I can. I worked as much as I can. I served my church. And then you lay your head on the pillow. And now you don't have anxiety because you exchanged excellence and exhaustion for anxiety. Sometimes you got to wear yourself out and say, God, I did your will. There's nothing else left. You know, Jesus felt anxiety before the cross, but not after it. Oh, am I going too deep for you? In Gethsemane, his anxiety was him premeditating what he was going to do, which was the cross. But then after the cross, he said, it is finished. And there was resurrection power. Anxiety is actually the anticipation of action, not action itself. So when you do what God called you to do, there is an excellence about your life that you exchange for anxiety. And last but not least, in an era of greed, in an era of greed, if in, in an era of greed, in an era of greed, we need generosity. Generosity isn't it you giving a gift to the church because you're going to probably give what's comfortable. Generosity is giving what hurts. You're not generous if you give what makes sense to give. The tithe and offering portion already happened. By that standard, many of you are not generous. See how quiet God? Generous people give to the point of it being beyond what is reasonable. If it's reasonable, you're tipping God. <laughs> 
But generosity goes beyond the reasonable. As a matter of fact, I just gave over $250,000 in Long Island as the down payment for our new building right now. And I'm believing that we're going to come together in radical generosity and we are going to fulfill what the word says that we are the head and not the tail. Come on, somebody. We are the lender and not the borrower and that we are going to own a building instead of renting a building on Long Island because we are generous. Is there anybody even here in New York City that can shout amen to that? Generosity, generosity. So I want to take you, we're going to go very deep right now. I want to take you to the time where the church was new, organic church. I'm going to take you after Christ's ascension and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the earth, but before Constantine and Catholicism. And we're going to do a history lesson together. Are you with me? But before that, let me tell you about the very first time I went to Ukraine. Very first time I went to Ukraine, they brought me to this vineyard, and this vineyard had multiple generations of uh, vines that grew grapes, and it had never been tilled by machine and no genetically modified food. It, this was just a straight up grape. And I'll never forget, I ate that first grape and I started laughing. And, I, and they said, why are you laughing? I said, because this is what grape flavored stuff tastes like in America. You know, grape flavored cough syrup. I had eaten grapes my entire life and no grape in America ever tastes like the grape-flavored stuff in America. The very first time I had an organic grape in Ukraine, it tasted like grape-flavored stuff. Does this make sense? Many of you have never encountered real Christianity. You have genetically modified Christianity. You've had industrialized Christianity. You've had Constantinian Christianity. Some of you white Caucasian Trump support and love and Republican Christianity. Some of you have had, uh, you know, the, the let's serve the needy and the poor through programs in our government, Democrat Christianity. Some of you have had this cuckoo kachoo hipster, let's go get high and, and, and let's go drop some acid and have a DMT Joe Rogan Christianity. But I'm talking about real organic Christianity, the Christianity that was birthed out of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's potent. It's real. The Christianity of Peter and Paul that died, the Christianity of the martyrs in the original Colosseum, there was a stitch in time after Jesus, but before Constantine. And I've got to take us back to that time. Oh, I'm taking the gloves off and bare knuckle fighting this spirit of religion because that's what it is. And there's so many people that visit your church, if it's V1 Church, and they say, I don't know if I could go back to your church. Everybody was speaking in tongues, and it's weird. That's weird to me. You know what would have been weird to them 2,000 years ago? They'd be like, what is that? And why is that guy wearing that funny outfit? See, I'm taking us back to organic non-genetically modified, non-industrialized, and non-state-sponsored. Because whenever the state approves something, beware. Come on, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. See, people celebrate Constantine, Eddie, and they say, well, he's the one that made Christianity legal. Beware of when a government endorses something. It's probably less potent than the real thing. 
And I'm going to show you that. So let's go back. Now, for those of you who take notes, take notes quickly. I'm going to give you seven tenets of the original church. The original church. What it was like before it became institutionalized in the way that we see it. Number one, they met together in private homes in house churches. But then the house churches grew to the extent that they had to bring them into larger environments. So here's the thing I want to tell you. If you have friends that make house church more spiritual than what we're doing here at any one of your physical locations, they don't know church history. It started in churches because no church buildings existed yet. It started in houses because it was illegal, but it couldn't even stay in houses because healthy things grow. Say that phrase with me, healthy things grow. Say this across every campus and break the back of this spirit that says a church that's small is more spiritual spiritual and more righteous and holy than a church that's large. Just because some mega churches are cancerous doesn't, listen, cancer grows, but also babies grow. And so not everything that grows is wrong for growing. As a matter of fact, it grew so big, it got all the way to America so that you can inherit it. Thank God it grew. I don't know if I can go to V1. That church is too big. Will it be even bigger if you started evangelizing, telling people about Jesus, leading them to Jesus, and making disciples? Maybe the church stayed small because you and your frozen chosen, us for no more, kept the gospel to yourself. But the Bible says a city on the hill cannot be hidden. The Bible says, come on, we do not hide our light, but we shine it before men. This church grows because we are a disciple-making movement so they had house churches but they didn't stay that way they took over jewish synagogues they built buildings but then they kept meeting in homes in addition somebody say in addition come on say healthy things grow healthy things grow so guess what we do both we have house church called connect groups we meet in small groups together intimate groups to know each other, but then we also have large gatherings just like they did. And guess what? For those of you who got a seminary degree from YouTube University, and you say, we need to keep the Sabbath... Number one, Jesus is the Sabbath. He is rest from the law. The Sabbath is not a date, it's a person. So I'm wrecking your bad theology from YouTube University. And number two, the history of the early church was to meet on Sunday, which was the beginning of their week. But we could meet on Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, or Tuesday. It just says meet often and regularly. And as the time of Christ's return appears, meet more frequently. And so if you're guarding a Sabbath, but not guarding Christ and not guarding his body, then you don't know what you're talking about. Can I keep going? Number two, the early church had local leadership. Each house had its own leadership structure with elders and overseers. Then it outgrew the house and it grew more elders and more overseers. So if you got friends who are like, well, I just do church at home. I do church. You know, I just do church by myself. We'll tell them, well, you're not a real Christian then. I'm sorry to tell you because nobody keeps you accountable at home because nobody checks your theology at home because nobody corrects you when you're wrong. So here's the thing. People like homes because homes are siblings. 
Orphans want homes without fathers. Oh, I'm preaching real good. Well, we do a Bible study at home. Yes, siblings. But then once you start to disagree, who's the father that comes in and says, no, this is the rightful interpretation of those scriptures? So often home churches or people who do church at home, they want siblings but no father because they're orphaned. They want an opinion without accountability because they're arrogant. They want followers without actually following somebody because they don't want submission. Come on, this is good. This is really good. Because you got friends like, well, I don't need to go to church. Church is just a building. No, if you understood what church really was, you would need to meet as much as you can to get equipped and trained and developed and refreshed to go back out into that world. The only people who say, I don't need to go to church are people who think that isolation would be approved by God. When he actually prayed, Jesus said, I pray that you would be one. Number three, they had apostolic authority. And what that meant was locally, they had leaders and elders, and above that, they had an apostle regionally or nationally. I don't necessarily in this era call myself Apostle Mike, although it's very common to hear John Eckhart call me pastor, Apostle Jenny Weaver calls me Apostle. You'll hear people refer to me that, but let me just say the lesson in that. You would rather someone else call you a title than you call you a title. Because there's a whole bunch of people printing business cards that say prophet that shouldn't be prophesying. There's a whole bunch of people who call themselves an apostle. They don't even know how to lead their own church and their own finances, let alone lead many. So you haven't met that many apostles. The other reason is here in America, the fivefold has been deleted because we obsessed over celebrity pastors for so long and our itching ears wanted motivational speeches we called sermons. We didn't want to be mobilized to action. So churches grew by audience, but not by army. Oh, I'm speaking right into some stuff. Y'all are going to hate me until you get what I'm saying. The gospel was never about you sitting in a seat forever. It was about you receiving to be empowered to go out and do what God called you to do. And if you're bored as a Christian, it's because you're doing it the wrong way. This is an adventure. This is a wildly, extravagantly adventurous life where we wake up and say, what today, Papa? And so you're living within the dynamic of accountability and release. V1 has both. You could become a campus pastor. You could become a worship leader. You can be leading a connect group of over 100 people. You could be doing great and mighty things for God. You could actually be preaching in front of tens of thousands of people. I mean, if one of my campus preachers preaches this stage once a year, they will preach no less to 10,000 people between all of our campuses and online. And if they had their own church, they would only preach in front of the same 200 people 50 two times. So the reason why I say apostolic authority, no pastor in seven years could launch this many churches and raise up this many leaders because pastors don't have that designation. Apostolic leaders do. So I'm on a mission to install the fivefold back into the body of Christ here in America. We have raised up no less than 200 people to prophesy who have been submitted to Josh's leader, who is the prophet on our team. We have a dean of a college. See, the secular world calls him the dean, but in the fivefold, he's got the gift of the teacher. 
So the fivefold, if you're like, what's different about V1? The fivefold is in operation. That is organic church. That's first century church. That's before the genetic modification. That's before the industrialization. That's before the government approval. Number four, unity amid diversity. Some of you thought I would never have a white pastor before. And then some of you are like, I don't know, is he white? I get that question. I'll say it. I just got back from Sicily. I've seen my own people. We're 100 miles north of Africa. <laughs> We're close. I have ancestry from four African nations, though. I'm claiming it. I mean, that's true. It's on my 23 and me. It is true. It is true. Come on. Come on, give it to me. Come on, give me my percentage. I like how everybody started clapping for that. Somebody clapped for that more than something I just said about the word. Lord, rebuke you. But some of you said, I would never go to a church that sings those kinds of songs. I would never go to a church that simulcasts. I would never go to a church where they preach through a screen. I would never. But see, the Holy Spirit drew you. The Holy Spirit convicted you. The Holy Spirit showed you another way. And that was number four is unity amid diversity. That was what the organic church was. When you go back to Roman civilization, they had been conquered by so many different peoples and enslaved so many different people that you would have Jewish people next to Greeks, next to what, what is now modern day Italians, and it would all be together. They had unity amid, amidst diversity. Number five, the first church experienced persecution. Somebody say persecution. If you are not being persecuted for biblical values, then you don't have biblical values. Biblical values will cause you to get persecuted in every generation. Biblical values are always going to be the different values than your government. And I just got news for you. Some of you are like, I got to vote for the right person because I got to vote Christian values. Can I tell you the bad news? Oh, somebody's going to leave the church after this because there's a spirit of nationalism that tries to connect into Christianity and says, let's make it a little bit about the candidate and a little bit about Jesus and a little bit about this and a little bit about that. But I'm talking, okay, look, look, please, so you don't hate me. When I read the Bible, the historic account of what was really happening, and I compare it against what we are given in political candidates, I can tell you I don't see the fruits of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying you don't vote. But what I am saying, because we're a global church, is that don't expect any candidate to be the mouthpiece or representative of God. The bride of Jesus Christ has been given the responsibility to be the mouthpiece of God. And when you are a prophetic bride, you're going to say some things that the Democrats don't agree with. When you are a prophetic voice, you're going to say some things the Republicans don't agree with. And guess what? I don't need a president. We need a king. We've had many presidents and we still have abortion. We've had many presidents and we still have suicide rates climbing. We need a king to be installed. And you don't get a king by voting. You get a king by submitting. And so persecution. They faced persecution from Roman authorities in the beginning. And that persecution was so strong it led to martyrdom. 
Number six, I'm going to do this quickly. Eucharist celebrations was a very common thing in the early church. They all did this. In other words, they would break bread for communion. So we're going to take communion at the conclusion of this message, and we're going to share in the early church Eucharist celebration. Number seven, last one, and I've alluded to this, but they were a rapidly growing organization, rapidly growing. I want to show you a map of the Roman Empire just a generation after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So when you look at this map of the Roman Empire, that's, that, that's it. This is the known world, North Africa, all the way from Spain onward. You see this map represents all of the countries that we now know in modern times, but it was all unified under Rome. And what I recently did was I started in Sicily and retraced the apostles uh, Paul journey all the way to Rome. And I hired private historians to do tours to actually show me the history, not from Wikipedia, not from the propaganda online, but from the archaeological record and what really would have taken place. And let me just help you understand this a little. I want to try to take you into this. Bear with me. Imagine every town, every village, and every city that you visit, there are statues by the hundreds that all represent different gods. These gods we, we would have inherited from Greek. We would have inherited them from different people groups as they came through. And so people were polytheistic, poly meaning many. And people all, there, were, there was virtually no atheist. Nobody said, well, there is no God. As a matter of fact, they said, well, there's many gods, and they were superstitious as a result of it. So they believed that the intimate inner workings of their lives were connected to these deities. So these temples would be erected everywhere, hundreds of temples in small, even a small radius, even a small geographic location, you would have hundreds of these temples filled with thousands of these statues that would accumulate. And so if you were sick, you went to the God that helped you with physical ailment. Like in Pompeii, where I visited the God Apollo and his temple. How many of you know Vesuvius actually erupted and, and the ash is still to this layer. There's a layer and you've seen the bodies from Pompeii. And so they would have been asking themselves, what did I do to not appease this God, or what did I do to upset this God? And they were constantly interacting with many gods in Roman times. You see this map in Roman times. So there's just thousands of these statues and hundreds and hundreds of temples within small geographic regions. Then all of a sudden, this man from the Galilee named Yeshua, who called himself the Hamashiach, the Messiah, says there's only one way. <laughs> Think about how it hits. Then it hit different. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. Oh, I got chills. But he would have been saying that. Now, when I was in Sicily, where my people are from, and I went to where the apostle Paul would have, would have came, there were these Greek pantheons. There were these Greek um, pagan temples, and they would always build them high because height would get you closer to the deity. So when you go to Sicily and you go to Rome and you go through parts of Italy, you see they, their goal is always build the pagan temple as high as I can to get close to God. 
And I imagine the Apostle Paul showing up and saying, we take every thought that's contradictory to the word of God captive and pulled down. And maybe he even pointed to one of those Greek pagan theaters and said, and we pulled down every high and lofty thing and every stronghold that's erected itself up against the thoughts of God. We pull it down. Woo! And so I realized I come from a real, I come from the pure undefiled religion of wild men. And I thought to myself, I'm not wild enough for real, because we got Christians in America where we have religious freedom that won't even tell their neighbor or won't even tell their coworker about Christ. But then you got the apostles that I'm talking about in this era who would be surrounded by, by deities and pagan gods and would be screaming at the top of their lungs, bring that whole temple down. Oh, we need the Holy Ghost boldness again. And so why do I say this? Now I want to take you to the Colosseum, which is in the governmental epicenter of Rome. Are you guys enjoying this? Is this helping you? Okay, follow me. So now we go to the Colosseum. The Colosseum was erected for a couple of reasons, and it looks like a stadium because most of our modern stadiums were actually created in response to this Colosseum in Rome. In other words, they came up with this idea and it was replicated. So if you've ever been to go to see a Knicks game or a Bulls game, you find that lineage in the Colosseum in Rome where the seating would go stadium style seating and you'd have the wealthiest people sitting in the bottom. And then as you go up, it would be increasingly poor. There are, there are a few things as a Roman citizen that you would be given for free. One of them is free entertainment. And so you would go to the Colosseum and they would bring out slaves and they would bring out Christians and then they would bring out ravenously hungry lions and you would get to watch the lions eat these Christians who were rebels to the Roman Empire because they were doing and saying things the opposite of their religious system. And then you would see and you would get to watch them get eaten alive as your entertainment and then gladiators would fight to the death in that Colosseum. How many of you know that the Bible is the story of what always happens and that demons take on new forms, but they do the same behaviors? Isn't it funny that as a Roman citizen here in the United States, because you know Rome just took on a new name. I mean, don't you think it's strange that the same buildings that we have in D.C. are the same architecture that they have in Rome? That's the same architecture that they have in Paris? Is the same architecture they have in London? Look it up for yourself. It's the same spirit building the same buildings. Instagram's free. TikTok is free. Facebook is free. They're always going to bring you into a coliseum where you get to see some of the most vile things to pervert your eye gates, to get into your soul and distort your reality. And they will always entertain you to the extent that you don't rebel. Come on, am I going too deep? Do you guys want me to just stop? I can't tell if you're interested or if you just want to go eat a burrito. The reason why entertainment was free was because entertainment would subdue you into enough passivity that you wouldn't rise up with your full intellect, you with your full power and do your God-given destiny. And then guess what else was free? Alcohol. Some of you don't even understand. It's the same Spirit, look behind right here in this venue behind that curtains, tens of thousands of dollars of alcohol. Come to an event, 
drink alcohol. What do you do at a stadium? The same thing they did at a stadium, alcohol and entertainment. And the enemy says, come a little bit closer. I'm robbing you of your destiny. Can I keep going? Okay, now two things happen. According to a historian named Flavius, some Christians would be brought out to the Colosseum and they'd release the lions. And those lions would come up next to them, sniff them, and then literally go down to the ground and roll over, tickle my belly, and they wouldn't eat them. And all of the Roman citizens would be like, what kind of supernatural power do these Christians have that not even lions eat them? Then the other people in the stands would say, well, they believe in this man named Yeshua. And, yes, and they would begin to explain the story of the gospel. And they'd say, well, I want to serve that God if lions won't even eat those people. And Christianity would grow. But then there's another thing that would happen that history gives an account. The other type of Christians, they would get eaten by lions, but they would be smiling the whole time. They'd walk out there like this. <laughs> yes, yes. And the whole audience would be saying, you are about to meet one of the most grisly demises that you can meet. Why are you smiling? Then they would get pounced on by the lions and these people would be laughing hysterically, the Christians in the first century as they were being eaten by lions. And the, and the Roman citizens would say, what kind of joy is this? that even in death, they're laughing, even, because I feel that death is imminent for me, and I want joy like that. And then they would say, whoa, they, be, they believe in Yeshua and the gospel. So he, imagine you're Constantine, and now you are an emperor over the Roman Empire, and you get the word back. When we don't persecute these Christians, Christianity grows, then when we persecute them, if they don't get eaten by lions, everybody wants to be a Christian. And then if they get eaten by lions with joy, everybody wants to be a Christian. It's, we can't stop this thing from growing. What is this thing called Christianity that we cannot stop it? Nothing we do. Matter of fact, the more we try to stop it, the more it grows. I'm taking you back to the non-GMO Christianity. Now, let me show you something. I want to show you a picture of what it's like. Show the picture of, of, of Rome. So this is what it's like. Nope, 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 the statues. So this is what it's like when you go there. So Constantine is celebrated by many historians as being the one who finally legalized Christianity. It wasn't until I went to the Vatican and I saw that the thing the Vatican's least about is Jesus. It's about Roman conquest. There's Egyptian artifacts, artifacts everywhere because they're celebrating not only how they conquered Egypt, but how they were actually co-opted their gods. Then there's these naked statues of children everywhere that the early church did everything in their power to cover, but then once Catholicism was instituted, they uncovered them again. It starts getting weird the closer you get to the epicenter of the origin of state-created, government-funded religion. And I'm not speaking an anti-Catholic. If you come from Catholicism, understand, on my father's side, I come from 1,500 years of Catholicism. What I am saying is most of you have never read your Bible in its totality from Genesis to Revelation. 
And something really funny starts to happen when you read the Bible for yourself, and then something even funnier happens when you go all the way to the Vatican for yourself. You start, now look at these statues. Constantine says, if I can't stop them, I have to join them. But if I continue to allow them to operate the way that they do, it's going to be a problem for Rome because they believe more than an emperor that they need to worship the king of all kings. And they had this in Rome, the emperor was a god. So you understand how, how problematic that is when they serve God above the person who's saying they're God. So now I have to create something that's close enough that they all buy into it. And it looks enough like what they have. How many of you know the Bible says the, that the Satan comes as an angel of light? So the greatest deception is not the opposite. It's similar, but not the same. Do you hear what I just said? The greatest deception. Oh yeah, you might look like a woman. You might smell like a woman. But you ain't a woman if you don't have a womb. <laughs> It's similar, but not the same. We're living in an era of deception right now. Gender deception. We used to call it dysphoria. It's similar, but not the same. When you go back and, and you look at their pantheistic gods and you see that they were also male and female. When you go back and you see that they also, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, you say, wait a second, these are ancient demons in modern days. There's over 900 Catholic churches in Rome. And when I said, how did the Catholic church build 900 churches? The historian said, they, she started laughing at me. And she said, no, they were 900 pagan temples that got converted to Catholic churches. And they didn't even remove the gods. They just renamed them. And they all, oh, come on, somebody. Constantine the Great, they called them. Let me give you an example. Every statue of Jupiter became Peter. And every statue of Zeus became Peter as well. So when you look at statues of Zeus, you're seeing Peter and Peter Zeus. But guess what? They said, how do we just replace? So they took men that were humble and made them into little deities called saints and then convince you to pray to them instead of going boldly before the throne of grace and praying to God. And they nullified the work of the cross where the veil was rent so we could walk into the Holy of Holies. I don't need to talk to Paul. I can talk to Jesus directly because of the blood of... He shed his blood. I don't need Michael to find something for me. I was found by Jesus Christ. Don't give me a saint. I've become one through the blood. We've been duped. We've been duped. We've been duped. And then guess what? Martin Luther comes, Eddie, with the 95 theses. And although I honor the reformers, sometimes things need to be completely destroyed before it can be rebuilt. So even though we have a restoration of Protestantism, you know what else we had? We still had the same hierarchy. Listen to this one man instead of become like this one man, Jesus. And so what I'm on a mission is I want to deconstruct this polytheistic 
saint worship, hierarchy, listen to one person, celebrityism, state-funded and state-created religion. And I want to go back to the real thing. And if any of you have had friends, and I'm saying this as I come to a close, who have said, I don't know about V1 Church, it's all about demons. I don't want to go to V1 Church, it's all about speaking in tongues, it's weird. I want to show you something that blew my mind. The church is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The church exists to worship and glorify God, to make disciples of all nations, and to demonstrate Christ's love through service to others. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 says this, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven, somebody say all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. The church fails. Look at this. The church fails when we lose sight of our original purpose. Do you want to know why Catholicism took off so fast? Do I have you guys for five more minutes? Or are you ready to leave? I'm going to tell you a secret. I went to Pompeii. This is kind of a funny story, by the way. I went to Pompeii, and we were going through the ruins of Pompeii. And we went to this one section because there was a big line. Everybody wanted to see it. So my wife and I said, let's grab the girls. Probably something real good is in there. Because, you know, Pompeii is where Vesuvius erupted, and, the, and it actually, the volcanic activity killed people, and then they have the casts of the bodies where they instantly were killed, which is super morbid. But if you're going to go on tour, very entertaining. So all of a sudden, we go into this room, and it's like, I like how the music starts playing behind this story. This is going to be ridiculous. There's these rooms with, like, stone beds back to back to back. And Julie goes, oh, I bet that's like an ancient hotel. And the tour guy's like, no, this is an ancient whorehouse. <laughs> Somebody just did like a dirty laugh over here. And they're like, <laughs> and then above there's like a pictures of all these sexual acts that they painted into the frescoes. And they said people from the community would come and point to the menu of, of ancient pornography and say, I want to do that with this person. Now think about Catholicism. When you sin, you go to a confessional and you say through that booth, I have done these things. And then they tell you, this is what you must do to absolve your conscience. It's surface level. And so the goal is not to be transformed from the inside out. The goal is not to deal with the root the goal is simply to absolve your, conf, com, your conscience from something that makes you feel bad. So they're used to going to these gods and these deities and say, how do I appease you? And they had hundreds of statues everywhere. What do you want me to offer you? What do you want me to appease? How, how do I get your favor? And so when Catholicism came, they said, well, it's easy. Because when I feel bad about doing something, I go and confess it in this box. They tell me what to do. I do it. And then I'm good. Then I go do it again. And I just have to do that over and over again. Then I'll go to heaven. But true holiness, John the Baptist said, there's one that's coming. And he's going to lay an ax to the root. 
Because true holiness is not by anything you can earn. It's not anything that you can purchase. You can't purchase an indulgence. You can't purchase your salvation. Jesus paid for it in full. And so the true message of Christianity was so rebellious and so subversive and it was so anti-counter, it was counter-cultural because it made all these gods, it nullified the whole system. Don't you see that? It nullified the whole system. Nobody cares that you're a Christian until your Christianity starts imposing on their system. When you stop shopping at Target, when you stop paying your money to go see movies, when you stop downloading the mobile app, that's when they want to assassinate you. That's when you're a problem. When they're trying to lower the birth rate, when they're trying to shrink the population, when he said be fruitful and multiply, then you preach biblical values and you'll end up martyred if you tell the truth. And this isn't a conspiracy. This is what it means. It's anti-Christ. Because let me just tell you, the church succeeds when it goes back to its original design. The church belongs, you belong to the church because you're in covenant, not just commitment. I want to show you these last things. What was the early church like if you could have went to their services? Number one, they spoke in tongues. Would you stand to your feet with me? Acts chapter two, verse four says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Somebody say they were all filled. Not most, not some, not just the leaders. They all spoke in tongues. And so speaking in other tongues, whether they're the tongues of angels or the tongues of men, they all did that. It wasn't something that a few people did, just the apostles, just the elders. They all did it. Somebody say all. And the reason why we speak in tongues is for encouragement to your spirit. You utter mysteries that you know not, and it edifies you, and it encourages you, and then the Holy Spirit prays through you in a coded language that the devil and his minions do not understand. And when you begin to speak in tongues, it's like a Holy Spirit encryption that cannot be hacked by the devil, and you begin to utter mysteries. It's like when I was 21 years old in college and I was speaking in tongues and I took it back to my Italian professor and she said, you're speaking an archaic ancient form of of Italian and you're saying, Sarah, I will wash you clean. Sarah, I will make you pure. The Holy Spirit was interceding for my sister Sarah through my spirit because I yielded. And so speaking in tongues is not some fringe Pentecostal thing. Speaking in tongues is the organic non GMO, non-Constantinian state installed thing. Speaking in tongues was supposed to be normal and I'm going to make it normal again. Number two, because people have left our church being like, well, I liked it when it went like that. Well, you would have hated the first century church. Number two, they prayed for physical healing. They all did it. James chapter 5 verse 14 says, is anyone, say the word anyone, 
Is anyone among you sick? So it was normal. When we get sick, we don't go to Apollo. We don't go to Apollo. We don't go to this deity. We go to the elders of the church who are not deities, but they are servants of the living God. And they put anointing oil on us and we see medically verifiable miracles. And so if you got people like, I don't know about this church always praying for healing. This is the default mode to believe in the great physician as our healer. Number three, they serve the poor and needy. Acts chapter two, verse 44. And all who believe were together and had all things in common. All, somebody say all. They all did it. They all served the poor and needy. Did you know that out of Indiana, out of Brooklyn, out of our locations, we're still serving the poor and needy on a monthly basis. And I would encourage you to get involved. Number four, I love this. Did you know that they all cast out demons? Did you know that? So if you've never cast a demon out, but you've been a Christian for a long time, you're missing out on what you have access to. Watch, I just read you a previous scripture where Jesus says, I have been given all authority, so therefore go and do. So that means, okay, we have this guy named Nick Garcia. He'd been a Christian for years. One time somebody was manifesting a demon right in front of me. I grabbed Nick. I said, Nick, go over here. Lay your hand on that guy. It's the spirit of Leviathan. I've already discerned it. Just command that spirit out over and over and over again until it comes out. And he's like, Leviathan. Okay. Okay. And he's like, come out, Leviathan. Come out. And then after it was all over, he came to me and he was like, Pastor Mike, thank you. I have been serving at local churches for years and years. I've been on the worship team. No pastor has ever empowered me to do the fundamentals of the gospel. We are not demon obsessed. We are Jesus obsessed and Jesus empowers us to have authority over scorpions, over serpents, over everything that the enemy, come on somebody. And so guess what? If you would have went back before Constantine and that version of church, you would have seen one of those Greek mothers saying, I break every curse from every Greek deity off of my children right now. I break the curse of Apollo. I command every demon out of my kids. You would have seen deliverance just like you see it at V1 Church. We're not doing something new. We're doing something original. We're doing something old. We're going back. Somebody shout, we're going back. The last thing they did is they raised up leaders. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, say every church, with prayer and with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. If you got friends, oh, I, I, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. Wrong! People who say that haven't studied the Bible. Matter of fact, the apostle said, as the time of Christ's return draws near, meet together more frequently. But not only that, even the house churches had appointed leadership over the houses. So in Acts chapter 14, so if you have a friend, and I'm going to empower you to ruin your next lunch or dinner with your friend. So when they say, well, I stopped going to V1 because I don't need to go to church and it's a 45-minute drive. Can you imagine 
the martyrs, Jocelyn, that were in the Colosseum, joyfully laughing, waiting to get eaten by lions, and 2,000 years later, someone's like, yeah, it's a 35-minute drive, and I'm too tired, and all they want is my money. I don't want to be one of those believers. I want heaven to look at what we're doing through V1 and say that reminds me of the Apostle Paul and Peter. That reminds me of what happened when it first started. I want to be the real thing. But even the house churches had leadership over them. So I want to show you, we're raising up a church in California and I believe it's going to be a mighty, mighty campus. And last time I was in California, I saw the redwood trees. Redwoods grow up to 200 feet. But when you study redwoods, their, their roots don't go down deep. They're actually shallow. And the reason why they're shallow is they interlock. And what enables them to go 200 feet up in growth is actually a very shallow root system that's interlocking. Across every campus right now, I want you to look to the left and to the right of you. And if you would be so bold, would you take their hand? And some of them have sweaty hands. That's all right. There's somebody who's sitting next to their boo kitty right now who's getting real nervous, like I've waited for this moment. There's somebody single right now who said there is a God and Mike Signorelli heard from that God. <laughs> I want you to look at these redwoods. They're great and mighty, 200 feet tall, but underneath is an interlocking system of roots. This is what I'm calling our church to, an interlocking set of roots. I remember sitting in a cafe, and it makes me cry every time I think about it, Jocelyn, with your husband. And I said, Eddie, Eddie didn't even go to my church. But I said, Eddie, I won't, get, I won't let you go if you don't let me go. Let's lock our root system together. I didn't even know you existed, Jocelyn. But I knew that that man was separated, and if he was going to grow taller, he needed to be interlocked with some roots. And through Eddie is so many people that attend this church, but I had to make the decision, a man that doesn't even attend my church, I'm going to lock root system with him. You see how deep this goes for me? So as you're holding the hand of somebody, can you go to another church? Yeah, you can go to that other church. It ain't going to be as good as mine, but whatever. <laughs> that was pride. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Can you, it's, you know, there are better churches, by the way, but you can go to another church, but it's about the intentionality. The early church when they had problems, they didn't leave each other. There was no other church to go to. If you lived in Corinth, you were screwed. You got to go to the Corinthian church. So this whole, I'm going to go find another church, they couldn't even do it. So the apostle Paul had to write a letter and set order to it. And they learned what happened when they kept their roots locked in with each other. Show the Roman picture now. Show the statues. That's what religion wants you to become, a celebrity. Oh, I'm leaving this church so I can become the man. I'm a preacher, and they don't let me preach. Oh, I'm a worship leader, and they don't let Oh, I'm a prolific teacher. Like, See, statues is what you make when you have little gods from paganism. 
but trees are oaks of righteousness that lock the roots together, that stay planted through every season. And see, those statues, even the biggest one is only 50 feet, but over 200 feet is every single redwood. And I see a church of redwood trees that all of us are growing into our full potential. All of us are growing into the fullness of what God asked for us. Does somebody believe that? So as you hold hands, we're going to pray this together, and then we're going to take communion. Say, Heavenly Father, I choose to lock roots with those around me, to stay planted, and to help them as they help me grow tall. I will learn, I will receive, and I will grow in the house of God. I will build your church. I will build your church. Somebody shout amen. Put your hands together. Man, I feel the power of God. Let's take out our communion. We're going to do communion across every campus together now. I feel like we're going to seal it with the blood. We're going to seal it with the blood. I feel the power of God in a special way. Some of you, now listen, Pastor Mike, are you anti-Catholicism? Yeah, I am. I am. Are you anti-Presbyterian? Yeah. Are you anti-Methodist? Yeah. Are you anti-Pentecostal? Yes. I'm anti any structure that was built by anyone other than Jesus Christ. And I'm taking this thing back to what Jesus did. Now, I might use an LED wall and a sound system and some cool graphics to do it, but you take that all away, and I want to take it back. I stood in Rome with my family, the Signorellis. You know what my name means in Italian? Little Lords. And we stood in the jail cell And they still know which one, because again, this is all with ancient stone. I stood in the jail cell where Peter and Paul were in. And it was dark and it smelled musty from the water and the dampness. And as I stood in there, I thought to myself, we've exchanged green rooms for prison cells. Take us back, Lord. Take us back, Lord. We had men that were willing to look in the face of thousands of false gods and call them all false. And now we got men who want everybody to be their friend and like them. Take us back, God. We got people who are ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit were the only way the church advanced before the printing press they didn't even have a physical Bible, but the Holy Spirit would remind them of the word that they heard. Take us back. We got demons tormenting and torturing people and they're going to Reiki healing sections of the city where they do psychic mediums and you have all these places and they can't even go to the local church and find deliverance from demons. Take us back. Every sick person used to be brought to an elder so that they can receive prayer. Take us back. So as we take this blood and we take this body, what we're saying is, Take us back. 
take us back to the body of Christ. Take us back to that blood that never lost its power. Church, this is the most important sermon I've preached in a long time. Somebody say the words, even if you just whisper it, say, take us back. Take us back. Before hirelings, before guys in funny costumes that were made by other guys in funny costumes. Take us back. Father, I pray that your body that was broken for our healing, you said that through your Holy Spirit, we would be baptized back into your body and that we would be fingers and hands and feet and mouths and ears. And God, we would literally be the representation of your body on earth. So as we take your body, may we go back to the original design. Everybody take the wafer now as a symbol supernaturally of the body. Lord, I pray over each and every cup from house to house, location to location, that as we take this cup, take us back to the blood, your blood that was spilled, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins, that we don't have to go to a priest, but as we take this cup, we become a priest. And the prophecy was fulfilled that we would be a nation of priests. Father, I thank you for this. We take this cup now. Right now, everybody just take this cup. Just lift up your holy hands before the Lord across every location. We're going to sing this one more time as a declaration. We're going to sing, build your church. Build it in Miami. Build it in California and build it on Long Island, God. Build it in New York City. Build it from the ground up. Come on, church, declare it. Come on, just a few seconds. Let's all prophesy through every generation. Build your church.